The following podcast contains explicit language. Liz, should we do a loop? Isn't it like 118 degrees out? A very short loop. All right, let me just get my sunglasses. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 18 years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we'll talk stress management tools, because we really need ours right now, and a lot of you probably do too. And then we'll talk to our favorite mogul, and honestly, the only mogul we actually know, um, film and television producer David Hoberman about what it takes to become a billion-dollar man. Yes, and we were working pretty intensely with David when the Me Too movement, like, just totally exploded. Mm -hmm. So we want to ask him his thoughts on that. Yes. And then we have a Hollywood hack that makes business gifts a snap. But, Liz, first we have an update. Yes. Um, As most of our listeners probably know, reviews are so important to getting the word out about podcasts. Mm -hmm. And so today we want to encourage our listeners to get on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We'll put detailed instructions about how to do that on our website because it can be a little confusing. Yeah. Uh, So the website is happierinhollywood.com. Everything you need will be there. And we thought it'd be fun to read a couple of reviews to inspire everyone. Yes. Um, And we can't just read good ones. So we're going to read a good one and one of our favorite bad ones. Liz, I'll start with I'll start with the good review. <laughs> okay, great. Um, this one is from Ken Moore, who's a happier fan, mm. and they wrote, "In some ways, it's like I know you, Liz. I'm so excited to have listened and been thrilled to hear you and Sarah. It's like." Going to see a new baby, and you have to be prepared to tell a tale about the beautiful baby. (laughs) I don't have to lie. I was interested in your subject matter and loved your back and forth. I love you and Gretchen together, but so nice to hear you in your own world. Congratulations. Oh, that's that's nice. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people think I'm very different on this podcast from on the podcast with Gretchen. Of course, I feel like I'm completely the same. (laughs) Okay, so Sarah, here's our bad review. TUV91 wrote, Listen to many episodes, hoping to like them, imploring people to freeze their eggs with no mention of the moral conflict some have with that was the last straw. So shallow on many topics, fretting to get a young child into the right kindergarten. So mindless on many topics, a tip to drink more water, stop and sip at every water fountain you see. Who knew? Just found them so unlikable. And frankly, so sad. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, my God. Oh, Sarah. Ouch. Uh, Well, you know, you can't win them all. (laughs) That's Uh, just funny. I don't think we're shallow. I just, I have to say. We do sometimes discuss shallow things. Well, sure. Does anyone not discuss shallow things? Exactly. I think we're very deep. This is our version of mean tweets. Yeah. So anyway, keep those reviews coming, everybody. (laughs) More good than bad, we hope. But if they're going to be bad, at least make them funny. Yes. (laughs) Okay, Sarah, let's dive into our segment from the treadmill desks of in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And today it's managing stress. Yes. And the good news is it's not 
for us right now about developing a bunch of new tools. Mm. It's about using the tools we already have when we get super stressed. And like, I think it's easy to forget about your tools when you're really stressed. Yes. So it's about remembering them. Being mindful to use them. Yes. One of our easiest, best, and cheapest tools is looping. It's what we call looping. Yeah. Um, which is when we, the two of us, and usually Marsha comes with us or maybe some of the other writers, um, go outside and we take a whole loop around the Disney lot. We walk around. Even we've been doing this in like 100 degree heat, which has been very unpleasant. <laughs> very. But it really helps us clear our heads, get a little bit of exercise um, and just reset. Yeah. And there are many days when that's the only exercise we're getting. Yes, we have not been good about using our treadmill desks no. on this new job. No, because often we're just sort of in conference kind yes. of with people and, and the treadmill desks. Just, they just don't work. No, which is a bummer. Um, but yeah, looping is the best thing we're doing. Um, meditation. I really should be meditating. Yes. Yeah, so have you meditated? I one haven't time. even attempted it. You did it one time. One time. At, At the home end of the or day. in the car? Or where did you do it? At home. And I do think I should be trying to integrate it into the car. That was very successful for me. Um, but now our parking spaces, like we used to park underground, <laughs> right. and now our parking space <laughs> is right by our building, yes. right by the door in. So yes. I feel like if I'm sitting there, it's a very kind of open public place to be sitting in your car with your eyes closed. Yes, yeah, true. Um, so that's something that I should be doing, and I'm not. Okay, well, try to do it more. You're more of a meditation skeptic, I think. I, I know. I 100% believe in it. I just never want to do it. I don't you think know? anyone wants to do it. Well, we just should. Um, well, one thing, though, I have been doing, which was your suggestion, and I'm totally on board with, is our office yoga once a week. Yes. That has been a huge success. It's amazing. We have an amazing yoga teacher. Yeah. Um, it's just, I love it. I love her. I really want to do it more. But I, it doesn't feel like it's helping manage stress. I feel like it's great exercise. But I don't feel like it's actually helping me manage stress. But you think it is. I do. I think any form of exercise helps manage stress. And I think it's a really healthy way to start the week. Yes. We do it Monday morning at what time? Yeah, 845. Like Right before the office, you know, opens up and it is a great way to set a tone in our own minds for the week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm disagreeing with myself. You're right. It is a great way to manage stress. <laughs> well, and something else we're trying, I'm gonna say trying to do is honoring the weekend. Mm -hmm. Like downtime and head clearing time and family time is so important. Yeah. And we're really trying to keep that protected. Yeah, of course, we worked like a lot of last weekend. I worked all day Sunday. And we're going to work this weekend. La, la, la. But not all day <laughs> every day. Right. And then it, and, and like really focusing on the time that we do have with our kids and in your case, your husband. Yeah. So one thing we're doing is cutting down on the number of events that yeah. we commit to. So it's like if we have a birthday party on Saturday, don't also commit to doing something else. Just mm -hmm. keeping it very manageable. Um, and and that way it's like you don't feel like you're just racing around all weekend. And if you do have to work, there's kind of more built-in downtime. Yeah, which means sort of letting go of some things that we really want to do. Yeah, that happened to me this week. Uh -huh. Like Gretchen, uh, my sister was in town with Eliza, my niece, 
And I had this great plan. They were going to come to the Disney lot. Then we were going to go to dinner with my uncle. Um, Eliza was going to see our house because she's never seen it before. And it was just like we had to work. And I just knew that trying to make that happen was going to cause me so much stress Uh because it was like, okay, can I go? Can I not go? When are we going to be done? Like, Gretchen has to eat early, so it can't be a late dinner, et cetera, et cetera. And I just like two days before said, I can see the future. And my future says I'm working late Tuesday night. (laughs) So I just let it go. And I felt so much less stress when I just let it go. Yeah. It was sad, but less stressful. It was. But you know what? Season of sacrifice. Right. This is the reality of our lives right now. Yes. Yeah. Um, And I think also our mantras are helping. Mm-hmm. You know, we have like our key mantras in yes. place. Some, you know, one of them, it's a fun job and we enjoy it, has been our mantra for more than 10 years. Yes, it has. You know, so having that there to remind ourselves in these times of stress, like, okay, yeah. this is hellish, yeah. but it's a fun job and we enjoy it. Yes. We make TV people. We do remind ourselves of that almost every day. Yeah. Like this was the thing we wanted more than anything. This is like it. Yeah. It's just a lot at once. <laughs> yes. We get to spend our lives being creative. Yes. Talking about a project we love. With great people. Yeah. I mean, our team on both the writing and production side is oh just so great. It's just fun every day to interact with all of those people. Yeah. Um, and then we have our new mantra, courtesy of Liz Dolan of the Satellite Sisters, strong, calm, kind. Yep. Trying to maintain that. And I have taken, you know, I have this ring with three little diamonds that mm-hmm. I wear yeah. that stand for faith action. Yes. I have put it back on mm. now and the, those uh, diamonds are reminding me of strong, calm, kind. Ooh, I so, love it. Thank you, Liz Dolan. And then we remind ourselves that this, the the hardest part of what we're doing will be over by Thanksgiving. Yeah. So when we get really stressed, we tell each other, it's only till Thanksgiving, we'll make it. Yeah. This will be over by Thanksgiving. Yeah. And Sarah, I mean, our jobs are stressful. We're always talking about it. But other people have jobs that are just as stressful or more stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully some of what we're doing to help ourselves will help them. Um, because we all need to protect to protect our sanity. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I want to know what tools do you guys use to help manage stress? Uh, let us know. You can email us or leave us a voice memo at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. We're, we'll take any suggestions. <laughs> yes, we will. Um, coming up, we'll talk to one of Hollywood's leading producers, the legendary David Hoberman. But first, an ad break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Liz, now it's time for a segment we call Name That Hollywood Job. 
Everyone knows about writers, directors, actors, publicists, but there are so many interesting jobs in Hollywood. Um, And today we're going to talk about being a producer. Yes, but not just any producer. We are talking to mega producer David Hoberman. Hoberman is the founder and partner of Mandeville Films and TV. He's made his mark on more than 100 movies, including producing Beauty and the Beast, which has grossed more than a billion dollars worldwide. He and his Mandeville partner, Todd Lieberman, also produced the sleeper hit Wonder, starring Julia Roberts, which has made just over $304 million worldwide. Some of their other big films include Insurgent, the second installment of the Divergent series, and David O. Russell's critically acclaimed Academy Award-nominated The Fighter. And one of my favorite romantic comedies, The Proposal, starring Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Yes, I've heard of it. I love that movie. I do, too. In television, Hoberman has an extensive resume as well, though he's probably best known for being the inspiration for the award-winning TV series Monk for USA Network, which we have to ask him about. Yes. Prior to forming Mandeville Films, Hoberman was president of the motion picture group of the Walt Disney Studios, where he oversaw the development and production of some little movies like, you know, Pretty Woman, Father of the Pride, What About Bob, Dead Poet Society, Crimson Tide, The Jungle Book, Ed Wood, Dangerous Minds, Ruthless People, Beaches. I mean, Sarah, the list goes on. It's crazy. He is a powerhouse. This is what we're saying. David Hoberman is a powerhouse. He also happens to be an incredibly nice guy, um, and we adore him. Yes, we really do. David Hoberman, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) We just told our listeners all about your lofty, amazing credits. Um, But, and this is so super Hollywood, you actually started in the mailroom. I did. Where were you? Uh, I had, you know, interestingly, I had hated college, and <laughs> and I was depressed all through college, and I moved around a lot, and I was at UCLA, and I think I had two quarters to go, and in those days, you had to do a language, and I didn't want to do a language, mm. so I asked my father, who went to the College of Hard Knocks, <laughs> if I could, if I could uh, drop out of school. Oh. And he said, yes, but you have to get a job. And he got me, he was uh, vice president of KBC Radio. He's considered, by the way, the, the godfather of talk radio. He started talk radio. Oh, wow. wow. And he got me a job in the ABC mailroom. And that's how it started. And you were at a- ABC has been a big home for you over the years. Yeah. Interestingly, when I was a mailboy, ABC was um, headed up by Barry Diller and Michael Eisner. Years later, in 1985, when I went to Disney, I'm working for Michael Eisner again. Wow. And then the other loop of that is one of the first couple jobs I had was at TAT Communications, which was Norman Lear and Bud Yorkin. Mm. How I got that job was my mother's dog ran loose into Alan Horn's condominium in the Marina del Rey, and she said, would you give my son a job? So so he gave me a job at TAT Communications and cut to three or four years, four or five years ago, I'm working for Alan Horn at Disney. Wow. (laughs) Things have been very sort of looped in my life. Yeah. I was going to ask what your first big break was, but was your first big break that breakaway of the dog? (laughs) No, I think my first 
big break was working for uh, Norman, and that was kind of going nowhere because I wanted to be in movies. And uh, Joan Scott, who was a literary agent, owned an agency called Writers and Artists, gave me a job as an agent without being on anybody's desk or anything. She just made me an agent, and I had to figure it out. Wow. So that that is what really sort of started to propel me, I think. And now you're a producer, a mega producer, a huge producer. We said <laughs> you're know. the only mogul we actually know. <laughs> um, but a lot of our listeners don't necessarily know what a producer does. What Can you explain We should it? find someone to explain <laughs> that to them. <laughs> Maybe just walk outside yeah. here and you'll get somebody on the street who can yeah. do it better than me. Um, well, there's, you know... There are a lot of different kinds of producers. There are line producers that do all the physical production stuff. And there are producers that are, um, you know, managers become producers. Anybody can become a producer. I always say to kids that um, that come into my office and I ask, what do you want to do? And they say, I want to be a producer. And I say, producing is an inevitability, not a goal. If you're, mm. if, if you're the best at what you do, you'll become a producer. If you have no talent whatsoever, the only job you'll be able to do is a producer, <laughs> unless you want to go up the corporate ranks. So mm. um, anyway, so I am what one would call a creative producer. And a creative producer basically finds the material, be it a pitch, be it a script, be it a book, be it whatever it is, uh, find a writer to adapt it, develop that into a screenplay, and then try to get someone to give you the money to make it. And then once someone gives you the money to make it, then my job is to help cast it. The most important, I, I always say that producing is a series of choices that mm. you make. And the most important choice you make, obviously, is the director. Mm. And um, and from there, you are sort of making sure that the director, that you get the best out of that director. And that includes casting. That includes production designer. That includes DP. That includes everything. So we, I sort of oversee the entire creative process moving forward and make sure and try to make the right choices to make the best film that that director has the ability to make. That's what I would say. And that includes post-production, that includes composer, scoring, all of it, giving notes on everything and being a part of it from, you're, you're really the first in and the last out. Does that explain it? It does. Beautifully. It's a very good explanation. One thing we've noticed observing you closely as we have the last many months <laughs> um, is that I think for a lot of producers have a, a reputation for being assholes, basically. And you're the opposite of that. I mean, you are always calm, always pleasant, always willing to listen. You know, you just aren't that way. Mm -hmm. Is that something you've learned? Is that just who you are? Because I think that's got to contribute to your success because I think people want to work with you. They just enjoy your company, for one. Mm -hmm. And, of well, course, you're nice. incredibly smart. Um, well, one, I've been doing it a long time. Two, running a studio 
you you learn a lot about what's important, what's not important, what to fight for, what not to fight for, when to uh, keep your hands off and when to put your hands on. The most important thing as a studio executive and as a producer is when to keep your hands off and when to let the creative do their thing. And you know what? Things work out. I really believe things work out the way they're supposed to work out. A movie gets made when it's supposed to get made, with whom it's supposed to get made for, because Lord knows I've had three directors fall out of projects. I've had actors fall out of projects. I I mean, everything happens in the way it's sort of supposed to happen as long as what you're doing is doing the best you can to fight for what you think is right. And I think I think the problem with a lot of uh, producers, and you two can argue this point if you like, but so many people in Hollywood work out of ego. Yeah. And that's... You would never argue that. And no. That's, <laughs> and that's where it fights the creative process and fights what's right because someone has to be right or someone else has to be wrong. And I try never to operate out of ego. I have an ego, and I will fight and use whatever authority and power I have to get what I want that I think is right for the project, not because of my own ego and needing to fulfill something in my ego. You know, the Malibu house and and our issues were a classic example of just what's right for the show and and fight who you have to fight to get what's right for the show. But don't do it because you're trying to satisfy your own self, but you're trying to satisfy the needs of the project itself. And for our listeners, we should just fill in on the pilot that we just made with you. There was a location that we really believed in and felt strongly kind of set up who a character is. And it really was kind of the biggest thing we had to fight for in the project. And you supported us so completely in that um, because it really was about the show. Right. Yeah. It was about – we thought this will sell the show. Yeah. And, um, and it was I mean, it was, was about great... the character, but yeah. it, it yeah. was also contributing to the look and size of the show that we were trying to do. Yeah. And, and And that was important. I also remember at one point when – Things were, you know, there were. there's just always when you're making a pilot so much going on, a lot of decisions. It can be very hectic and crazy and very difficult. And I remember sitting in your office and you like kicked back and you had your feet up and you said, guys, we're making a show. Like, remember, this is supposed to be fun. And of course, yeah. our mantra is it's a fun job and we enjoy it. So, yeah. But we're like, this isn't fun, David. <laughs> <laughs> we're not having yeah. fun. Listen, you know, it was a good I always, reminder. I used to always say, I mean, because making movies and making TV shows can be <laughs> really hard and really stressful. Um, but if I'm, and I speak of movies, if I'm in league with the director, if the director and I are team then we can fight anybody mm. and we can have fun doing it. Mm. If and, and, and that's how it was with us because we were in sync. Right. And as long as we're all, you know, the people that you're in bed with, you are in, in sync with, then at least you have togetherness and that 
can be enjoyable uh-huh. and satisfying and fun, and you don't make too big of a deal out of it, but it should be fun, and I've been doing it too long. I don't need not to have fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, one thing that was kind of interesting is when we were making the fixed pilot, the Me Too movement was just exploding. Um, and you're someone who would not need to have any concerns of getting caught up in that. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> Um, but partly because of that, because, you know, you have a stellar reputation, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, was it shocking to you that this was happening? Did you know about it? I was curious. The way it was interesting for me is, and, and Lori Zacks, who runs uh, my television division, who you guys know well, um, she is is a very strong supporter of of females moving forward and 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 equality and all that. So yes. I have been in situations in in our company where I'm surrounded by women all the time. We make a joke of it. Yeah. And, the fixed pilot was one of those. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and the fixed pilot was was one of them. And but what I'm getting at is that 3 years ago or so when I was doing Jenna's pilot or and I was always surrounded by women, women executives, women producers, women writers, women, you know. I enjoy it. I'm comfortable around women. I have fun. But the fix was a little different because of the moment in time that that it came. And suddenly for me, being around all you women became a little uncomfortable. Mm. Because I suddenly had to sort of watch who I am and what I say and how I comport myself. I don't know. It, when we made the proposal, the filthiest mouth on that movie was Ann Fletcher, the director. <laughs> and that never happened today. What's interesting about that is we tell young women writers to, like, curse in meetings on purpose with men to show hey, you can hang with me. Yeah, and it right. wouldn't surprise me if part of why she had the filthiest mouth was to to exert masculine power. Right. Mm-hmm. That's Just, possible. You know what I mean? It, I think we tend to try to not seem girly. Right. Um, but it is, there was kind of just a different electricity in the air in Hollywood the last few months. Um, I, like, I personally don't think men who aren't, pigs need to alter what they say. You know what I mean? Like, I think you could probably say the same things you've always said, but everybody definitely feels self-conscious and concerned. Whether you would actually say anything or not, you're just aware of it in a way you wouldn't have been. Right. And we all are, as you said. Yeah. I think we were all trying to find a new equilibrium, you know? Yeah. And at some point, I hope there is a new order and we do find that equilibrium. And I I don't even speak for us in this room because I I do think that we're all good people and, you know, we all mean well and we're not part of of what's going on out there. We're more observers of what's going on out there. And but it does affect our behavior. Yeah. Well, 
On a totally different note. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. Um, (laughs) You've produced such a wide variety of films and TV. You've done low-budget comedy, drama, huge budget like Beauty and the Beast, Blockbuster. When you read a script, how do you know it's the one? Or do you? (laughs) Well, I respond to ideas and I respond to character journeys, I think. And um, I mean, if you look at our movies, I'm I'm embarrassed to say they all have happy endings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even a movie like The Fighter, which takes you through you know a relatively dark uh, journey, you come out the other side. So I tend to um, respond to movies that make you feel something, and hopefully, make you feel sad and happy, uh, or make you think, or um, have something to say, and um, and that you're following a character through a journey where he or they are triumphant at the end. Do you have a favorite film that you've produced, or is it sort of like picking your favorite child? That I produced, I would say one of my favorite films uh, was uh, a film, The Negotiator. And I say that because it's where I learned to produce. Mm. And because, uh, you know, you come from executive, you've visited sets, and you have no idea what you're doing as a producer. So it took me, you know, any anything new has a learning curve to it, but it took me some time. At that movie, I learned what producing was all about on set. But uh, the director was really young, and uh, it was Gary Gray, and it was uh, probably the biggest movie an African-American filmmaker had ever done at the time. But he had his challenges, and um, and I learned how to get the best out of him and get the best out of the movie. And I'm very proud of that movie because I think it turned out good, and I know I had a big imprint on it. One of the things we talk about a lot is how to resolve conflict. Um, and you work closely in a partnership with Todd Lieberman. You work closely with directors. It can't all be easy. We didn't, thank God, have conflict on the fix um, between us, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you approach difficult situations and how do you approach kind of smoothing waters when they get difficult? Because it's very hard to make movies, it's very hard to make TV. Well, I would say, though, resolution and conflict, you know, is something every every business and everyone deals with. And I think, you know, one of my abilities as a producer is to be strong when I have to be strong, be charming when I have to be charming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a game, right? I mean, it's, it's a game to to always in an effort to get what's right for the show you're making, movie or television. And I think that I, because I've done it so long, because I know nothing is life or death, I'm able to navigate those waters Mm. and, you know, always, sometimes I fail, but but I think I'm pretty good at, 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 getting people to do things without hating me for doing it. Mm. <laughs> you know, A skill we should all learn. That is a really important skill. <laughs> all right, David, before we let you go, we have to mention Monk, the okay. show Monk, because in TV you can't mention Mandeville without talking about Monk, which 
we understand <laughs> um, that you were the inspiration for the character. Is yes. this true? Yes. I um, had terrible OCD as a kid. And I, I don't even remember how it happened, but I was at ABC and they were saying, we're looking for a different kind of detective show. And I had made a oh. film also called What About Bob? Which is, you know, we all know how messed up Bill Murray was yeah. in that movie. <laughs> and I sort of, I don't know, went home one night and thought about what if I, what if you create a character that's a detective, but he's got terrible OCD. And that's sort of how it happened. So I used to never, which we do, we did a lot of my things in the pilot, uh, in the show. I couldn't walk on cracks. I had to touch things three times. Uh, I had a lot of ritualistic things that I had to do. And I don't know, it was at ABC and then it went to USA and Tony Shalhoub. The great story of that is Tony Shalhoub on the first day of, of, of shooting, we were shooting the first scene and he came to Dean Pariseau and I and said, I don't have it. <laughs> I, I don't know who the character is. I'm completely lost. And we said, Tony, you're doing a great job. <laughs> whatever, it is, whatever it is you're doing, you're doing a great job. And, and then it runs eight years. So yeah, didn't clearly, he win clearly he knew what he was doing. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, it was based on me as a, as a kid primarily. That's fun. Well, David, I can tell you that one of the things that we love about working with you is that you are the person who will sort of wait until the right moment and say <laughs> the exact right thing that needs to be said, whether it's about a set, whether it's about a script. You uh, always casting. have, yes, this sort of extraordinary aesthetic sense and level of just like we have to be better um, that we really appreciate. Um and just so you know, working on the script that we're working on right now, <laughs> we have heard your voice ringing yes. in our ears at times. There's a reason uh, <laughs> we're re-breaking it for the second time. Yeah, was literally the last time I read it, I thought, oh, Hoberman's going to say this is a dirge. So <laughs> I never said that. We have to go back in there. Um, so anyway, we love working with you, thank yes. you. and appreciate you. David, thank you. thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Bye, all. <laughs> <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor. Liz, now it's time for this week's Hollywood hack, which is BoxFox. BoxFox is a company where you can send, and this is, again, not an ad. We talk about these things. This is not an ad. BoxFox is this company um, that allows you to send custom and personalized box gift sets. Yeah, and we learned about this on our Facebook group. One of our listeners, Amy, who's a lawyer, um, needed a gift to send to two young, hip clients and she was looking for ideas. I love that she came to our Facebook group and said, hey, everybody, help me out. And there were lots of great ideas oh, there. there. I were. was like, I was taking notes. We'll get some more hacks from that. Um, and the key words um, she told everybody were pink, artsy, techie, socially conscious, mature beyond their years, very cool. And so there were, like, as we said, amazing suggestions. But this one from Cassandra stood out called BoxFox. And it's a gift box website and there's a few different sizes of boxes, you know, small, medium, large, and you pick the products that you want to go in it. And I've seen other sites like this, but mm -hmm. the difference is the products. Yeah. They're just super cool and hip. And now, um, I think they had the corksicle, my my um, favorite drinking glass. Yeah, one of the boxes had a, had a corksicle that was big enough to hold a whole bottle of wine. Oh, I missed that. Nice. 
Yeah, and they have different kind of iPhone covers um, and just like cool stuff that if you got it, you wouldn't be like, oh, great, another corporate gift. Right. You'd be excited. You'd be psyched and it would feel personal. Yeah. These aren't your standard chocolates and lotion. And again, not an ad. Not an ad. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Sarah, next time we need to get someone a business gift, like we're going to do this. Oh, yes. I'm like wanting to get someone a gift. I know. <laughs> Let's think of someone we need to get a gift okay. for. Okay. <laughs> And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us or send us a voice memo at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. And of course, a review would be nice. A huge and special thanks to David Hoberman for joining us today. Thank you to our producer, the amazing Chuck Reed and everyone at Sancola Sound. And thanks to the awesome ad team at Panoply. Thank you to our assistant, Mary Merkins, for helping us manage our stress right now. (laughs) And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft and Sarah is at S. Fain. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. You know, we could always just buy ourselves Box Fox <laughs> gift sets. Well, that's true. <laughs> I'll get one for you. You get one for oh, me. That'd be fun. Oh, I like it. Except I kind of want to pick out my own stuff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay.